0: It's up to you. You know, we can. You can start out, or however you want to do it.
1: Sure, I was just gonna, you know, offer a brief introduction to you and some of your work, and then we can kind of jump off from there. Perfect. So, William, welcome, and uh, you know, thanks again for joining me today for a discussion on today's topic of the Smiley Face Killers.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
1: Absolutely. Um, before we get into the main topics of today's discussion, your smiley face killer documentary and my theories on the alleged ritualistic murder of the sfk victims i'd like to you know kind of tee up a brief introduction for folks listening okay um and since your documentary title and it, you know that i'm sorry your documentary and its title both offer a great introduction to the topic i'll uh Hand it back over to you for that discussion. No problem.
0: Well I titled the film The Smiley Face Killers because that is the the gnomon the title that people refer to this type of, of murder that goes back twenty years. It's always been referred to because of a smiley face that's associated with some of the crimes or some of the deaths. But smiley face killers and then I asked the question Who is abducting, torturing, and murdering young men in the US and UK? When I started researching the document for the documentary probably two years ago, that was the totality of my understanding in the English speaking world of where these cases were happening. And now I've actually grown in an understanding that there's more cases, Australia, these types of cases, Amsterdam, sure. et cetera. So, um, but that was it. I mean, these cases go back the original people. There was a journalist. Her name was Christy Peel. She was on coast to coast a while back talking about this and probably 20 years ago. Now she's moved on, but the original uh, writings about the smiley face killers mainly were by two guys, it was One was a New York police detective, his name was James Gannon, and a professor in either Minnesota or Wisconsin, his name was Gilbertson, and they wrote a book called Case Studies in Drowning Forensics, and really did a, a very superb job in, in detailing these types of cases, and that's really what my, the baseline of all the information that I put in the documentary goes to is their work.
1: Awesome, yeah, and it's, uh, you put a lot of great information into your documentary, um, I, I can see where you had a great place to start. The uh, professor you mentioned and the detective offer a great baseline understanding of this phenomenon that's occurring. I agree.
0: And I, I think that they really did the, the best job. Other There's been other commentators whose names I don't really feel like referencing, but they've talked about it. <laughs> sure. and, and they've kind of made a mistake. I, I think my, my documentary, as you know, is three and a half hours. It's very long, probably overly long. However, I really went into detail and showed, Analyzed a lot of the Gilbertson and Gannon cases and also more recent cases that show that some of the misunderstandings or uh, myths that are associated with the case are just that misunderstandings such as they are extremely drunk and wander into water, you know, and uh, I think I showed through at least five or 10 cases where these guys Kelleher, um, Dakota James, these are more recent cases. Uh, Lance James, these guys are clearly walking around, you know, they're clearly
1: uh, Oh, absolutely, they, they seem to be some of them seem to be on their uh, their cell phones and talking maybe, right. on their cell phones Dakota texting. James,
0: perfect example, you cannot be, drink, you know, have a .20 alcohol content and be uh, feverishly texting on your phone um, so that's <laughs> the more recent that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> that well. so yeah, well I mean that's just a perfect example is the Dakota James that's a recent case, that was another case that you know, as I was making the documentary that, um, you know, I've talked to other people where I'm like, if this guy shows up in water, I'm going to freak out. And that kept happening sure. to me over and over again. Probably the first time was a case in Columbus, Ohio. A guy by the name of Joey LeBute was in downtown Columbus and just disappeared. And then three weeks oh, later. I'm very
1: familiar with that case. Yeah, yes. Absolutely.
0: So that was a remarkable one. Um, and these cases, all of these cases have not really been solved in a. Legal sense. You know, they've just all been put in a terminology of an accidental drowning and then the cops move on. And I take a completely different or have a completely different conclusion, which
1: is these are murders and body dumps. Excellent. I think that's a great description of your documentary. And I think you did nail it on a number of the misconceptions that are often had about this smiley face killers. Um, phenomenon i believe you 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 know you highlighted a few there i have a few more i think i highlighted as well from your documentary but before we get into that i'd like to ask you what what caused you to get interested in researching the uh, smiley face killers
0: it's a good question so i always i think i didn't know much about the occult i really didn't know about occultists or that part of history and you know i i had gone and got your standard you know degrees and 9 11 happened. I studied 9 11. That led me to Aleister Crowley and this kind of this kind of cult, under you know this cult underground that exists. And so, interesting. You know, I was more so. I, my first book was Prophet of Evil, writing about Aleister. It's really about Aleister Crowley. My second book was about the Satanic influences on a, the West Memphis Three cases. That's Abomination, Devil Worship, and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murders. And, um, then I wrote another one, which was Crowley's influence on the 20th century. It's Children of the Beast. Crowley was known as the beast, Crowley's shadow over humanity. So I was always kind of inclined to try to figure out what's going under the surface and the symbols that Crowley used so many original types of symbols. And he had his own drawing of what was the beast, the mark of the beast and the seal of Babylon and all these very strange symbols that had numerical meanings. And what, the really, what really piqued my interest into this, what was known as the Smiley Face Killings was my research into the occult background of David Bowie. David Bowie was very sophisticated. He knew all kinds of, you know, above-the-level uh, historical references and literary, literary references, but it's pretty clear to me that he knew some occult stuff as well, sure. particularly about Alistair Cooley. But when he passed away, he did a, his last album was Black Star, but he did a very mysterious, occult-influenced... Um, uh, uh, video for Black Star, where the music starts just as it's focusing in on um, a man in a spacesuit, and that man in the spacesuit is wearing a smiley face lapel or lapel or, or like a symbol on wow. his chest, and that was really it because I had seen I was very familiar with Alan Moore because of my writing about him and Children of the Beast and his use of the smiley face, and then and then this pops up in that and I was like, well what's this mean? And so I devote a significant amount of time in my documentary to show the usage of the smiley face in modern culture. A lot of it leads back to I mean, we can get into that later. But I mean that was really where it started. So then I knew the smiley face killings and then I really started just kind of casually following it and really realized that there was something here. I read all like I did with Alistair Crowley. you know, I read a lot of the biographies. A lot of the biographies left information out. Well a lot of the information I thought in other writings about um, these, these cases were left out. I I really think that Gannon and Gilbertson did a superb job and is really fantastic that you can reference their detailed, you know, investigation into these cases. But there was other things that are left out that I think that I kind of, uh, you know, added upon and put that into my documentary. And that was really how I, how it got started was me really watching that, that David Bowie video and just going, Oh, what's that? You know,
1: well, that's interesting, William. I, and I, I think you, uh, you definitely add some some very interesting things to the conversation relative to Aleister Crowley. I'm not familiar with all of your work as far as your writings go on, on the subject. However, what I what I have read and and heard on the subject of your research, it seems very spot on and very well researched. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I I very um, I took a
0: lot of consideration into footnoting and referencing everything in all of my books. So. You know, I I take that kind of uh, position that you really want to be rigorous, even though, you know, it's a nonfiction book. You know, you really have to, but I think it's important so people can see what what you've been reading.
1: Sure, and I think uh, Aleister Crowley's a very interesting character in American history that is largely unknown to most of the population because I'm I'm sure I'm you know not teaching you anything here, but for folks you know of the interwebs listening to this conversation, you know, Aleister Crowley was at the uh, kind of the nexus point between NASA and Scientology. I find that really That's interesting. Amazing.
0: Yeah, it's true. Right there, Jato, you know, all those, in uh, Pasadena was uh, Jack Parsons, who Alistair Crowley actually said he was the, his most important member of the OTO, the Ordo Templi Orientis, was Jack Parsons, running the running the Agape Lodge that had Hubbard and all these other, uh scientists and people in the, the movie industry involved and here's Jack Parsons talking to Von Braun you know he used to call Von Braun and ask him all these questions and stuff this right. and every time <laughs> they would do a rocket launch uh
1: Jack Parsons would recite Alistair Crowley's hymn to
0: pan this this uh this poem of Alistair Crowley's so he that's was, so uh, wild. Yeah. You
1: know, it, you know in comparison to like a standard conventional history of NASA or, you know, Scientology, I'm sure Aleister Crowley's name is not mentioned very often. I would agree with that.
0: I think that that's probably one of the biggest things overlooked in Scientology as a whole is that its basis is the occult and Aleister Crowley, H- Hubbard's son, said that his dad was an aficionado of Crowley, collected his writings and he used to like go over his Crowley's books before he would do his early At the very beginning of Dianetics and Scientology in the late 40s and 50s, um, he would, he would reference Crowley stuff. And there's actually a recording of Hubbard talking about Crowley, talking about, you know, the great magician, Alistair Crowley. You should read him called himself a beast. So he's familiar with a lot of Crowley stuff. And, uh, that's fascinating. Yeah. His son said that Scientology was black magic drawn out over a longer period of time, which I found pretty fascinating.
1: This would have been L. Ron Hubbard Jr. Correct. So, yeah. He had
0: a name. He was his first son and was there. At the very beginning, um, Hubbard had the Dianetics for two years, and then there was bankruptcy and problems, and then he started Scientology, and, and his, his son was with him for about eight years, and then they had a falling out, and he did a famous article for you know, you Back in the day, there wasn't the internet, so they didn't have information, but he did a famous interview for Penthouse in like 87 or something like that, where he talked about everything about his dad and black magic wow. and drugs and all the stuff that Hubbard was really into that was really kept from the public.
1: Yeah, I really do think you're, you're you're correct in your assessment that that's absent from Scientology's teachings, modern day teachings.
0: Well, you know, if you start reading through all the promises and all these things, and you see where where Hubbard got his ideas, um, where I even put it in my book book, where Crowley his his receipt of his most important book was the Book of the Law, and he called it, I, it came to me as a bolt out of the blue in 1904, and then Hubbard uses the same term. About his book Scientology, came to me as a bolt out of the blue. It's incredible. There's really, I that mean, that is incredible. One of the so so the Book of the Law has all kinds of you know mumbo jumbo in there and terms and very rich jargon of occult and historical nature. But they talk about the one who came after. There would be one who would come after and interpret the book. And Crowley, uh, Hubbard thought of himself as the. And this is not uncommon in the like occultists' tradition is that Hubbard himself thought he was the one who came after to interpret Crowley's work. Hmm. And he was anti-Christian. There's a, Christian. there's a very strong anti-Christian. I mean, it's a it's an incredibly strong anti-Christian uh, position from Crowley and in Scientology. You know, they they there's all this der, you know derogatory terms against Christ by Hubbard, which is pretty shocking. And a lot of people don't talk about that. Hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah and I I I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. I, and I think part of that suppression of that sort of information is very relevant to this smiley face killers discussion as well, because uh, for example, until I watched your documentary, I had no idea that the smiley face symbol was rooted in the, not only the occult, but also had connections to Aleister Crowley. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. I mean, those guys,
0: like I, I talk about Peter Christofferson and these, I mean, I, t- I wrote about the interesting thing is before I even wrote about or made this documentary about the smiley face killers, I, killers. I had written about Genesis P. Orage. His real name, I think is Paul Houston. Um, but he, I wrote about him in children of the beast and, um, he, his name is, he, he basically ingests his own semen. And that's why he called himself Genesis P. Orage, Genesis mm. Porridge. And that's what he was because supposedly it gives him energy, right? Cause these guys are sure. into consuming body bodily fluids. And, if you remember in the part of the documentary, he's wearing a smiley face right at the end. So he actually, and Houston slash P. Orridge has a weird history that ties into Timothy Leary and all kinds of weird snuff films back in England and um, Peter Christophers, rock, rock stars, right? Rock then, stars, all these guys yeah. in was it Joy Division and all these people just kind of filtering through the acid house underground, all sure. that stuff. So um, yeah, I didn't know about that either, but. You know, I just yeah, I just kind of traced traced this this kind of phenomenon through people, and I took a different. I didn't. A lot of these people who research these cases, they literally believe there's wormholes, that there's something paranormal, that Bigfoot's popping right. out from behind a right. tree, <laughs> and I think that that paranormal position is untenable when you look at the facts, and also does a disservice to the victims and the public. They're actually in a, in a form of uh, deception or. Uh, you know, creating this misunderstanding that i th- I think is absurd and oh totally. those people totally. will never be called on it too, which is a shame, but yeah
1: i I think that you know and I, I think you know I can see where folks try to fill in the blanks in, in some of these cases. Um, I don't know if I would ever go to a paranormal solution to solve a murder however the um I can see where I can see where the need to to insert information and where a lot of information is is missing in these right. cases.
0: It actually is interesting because the more modern we are, there actually is still ties to the old legends of werewolves and vampires where people had to justify how people disappeared. You know, whether, Exactly. And there, there were probably serial killers and abductors and stuff like that all throughout history that never got caught, but people came up with this fantastical thing you know that that, that yeah that's that exactly what i was just it. trying to say <laughs> so the, the past is present you know these kind of things sure. and i didn't i don't believe i you know i there clearly were our like death cults there were death cults in india that's where the word thug comes from is the thug him literally would allay uh travelers and abduct them and take their money and kill them in front of their god you know and wow. yeah, the English had to really wipe, try to wipe them out, wipe that tradition. So this out. was up
1: till 100 years ago then still. Yeah. So
0: that was roughly. actually, that's the, the people who recorded it were the English invaders, the people who took over India. But
1: yeah. So sure. I don't think that,
0: that, you know, there might be something. And if you read, look through all these cases, it seems like there's some of these people like Chris Jenkins out of Minnesota where there's groups, you know, there's, there's somebody oh, deceiving absolutely. or somebody drugging her, you know. Uh, the, and the other more recent case was Zach Marr out of Boston, where there's differing differing opinions about how, whether he got back in the, and I tend to believe his family more than the bar, but his family said he was, you know, they texted and said, they won't let me back in. And then they, re- and this is like, the police should be all over this. This is ridiculous because there's differing um, analysis, uh, statements show that there's something amiss, which is the bar says, oh, no, we let other people in. I can show you the CCTV but Zach Marr is outside, and all of a sudden he disappears and ends up in the water, ends up in the St. Charles River. That's fairly wow. recent, yeah.
1: Yeah, if I remember correctly from your documentary, Zach Marr was the case of the individual who the Boston PD later claimed to have on a separate CCTV yes. camera. Yes, that's entering right. the water? That's correct, and then they
0: showed it to the mom, and she's like, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see where he is, yeah. So, oh, wow, interesting. Yeah, so some of these, yeah, there's really scary. yeah, the police on a lot of these cases i think they have more information than any anything i could ever see but some of these cases it's like they're not following through
1: yeah yeah absolutely i think you you actually did make a solid argument in your documentary highlighting the kind of a suppression of some of the information or evidence in some of these um in some of these cases at least yeah um I mean, one that comes to mind is patrick mcneil's case which right. Possibly one of the earliest cases, if not the earliest case. Right,
0: like uh, I think I called him and some other people called him victim zero. So the foundation, Patrick McNeil out of New York, college student, I think he went to Fordham, walks out of a bar, probably drugged, acting strange. I think somebody saw him throw up, turned a corner, disappeared, and then ends up in like a waterworks downstream from Manhattan where another body is found almost a year later, Larry Andrews. And, right. Uh, right. So, and then they, they, the family doesn't know, and then they do an autopsy, and the guy's been like blowtorched. His teeth are missing. I can't remember the, all the, the injuries that he endured, but it's pretty clear he was tortured. And, uh,
1: they and I didn't. believe the autopsy in that case was actually suppressed from the family for a great amount of time, was it not? Yes, that's right. They didn't. I think they didn't find it for ten years or like eight years
0: after, which is critical because they didn't even know that the what their child endured, and that something like that happened in the Chris Jenkins case, where Jenkins was holding a uh, some hair in his hand. It' was pretty clear that he was struggling. This is the guy out of Minnesota, and. You know, the family had to look at the, the case files and analyze the pictures themselves. It's a disgrace. So, yeah, it's a
1: shame. That is, yeah, that's, unfor- that's really unfortunate that yeah. a family would have to go through that. Yeah. So,
0: she's, the mother of Chris, The uh, Chris Jenkins is Jan Jenkins, and she did an interview with Ed Opperman about her book, which is, was it Profiles in Courage? She wrote a book about her son and, and the loss and how... The police actually, I mean, it's one of the few cases where they change it from an accidental drowning to a murder, to an unsolved murder. And the, there's actually a video of the chief of police, I think, in uh, Minneapolis apologizing with Chris Jenkins, I mean, Jan
1: Jenkins, saying, we made a mistake. So Sure. Yeah, I, think, uh, I believe I've seen that clip. Yeah, so that's another one. But yeah, it's, it, that was an interesting case with Chris Jenkins because, I, if I remember correctly, his uncle was a was a high up in the FBI, correct? And it somehow that didn't even impact his family's ability to kind of get the investigated investigation jump started at all. It seemed. And that's similar to Corey McKeague.
0: Corey McKeague would disappear at a Barry St. Edmonds last year, or I can't remember, 2016 or 2017, and. His uncle was, was also an intelligence officer, and they actually, they had never found his body. They actually went through this huge trash heap, but um, never found him. And, and that was an interesting case, too, because similar to the Kelleher case out of Boston, where they traced the pinging of the phone north, you know, and they traced Kelleher's pinging south of the Charles River, and then he ends up back in the Charles River. But they never really, they never could figure out what he car he got into, Clark uh cory mckee and, mm-hmm. and where he is so it's a shame his mom was... is tortured and the family's destroyed it's awful
1: oh i bet absolutely yeah. it's got to be it's got to be just a complete nightmare for some of these families you know given oh. some, of the, his, some of the accounts that i've read
0: cory mckee's girlfriend was pregnant so they cory mckee's loved one now has a child who will never know her dad yeah it's
1: crazy yeah. yeah that is that is crazy I believe you, there was a lot of CCTV footage of Corey's disappearance in your documentary, correct? Correct.
0: So you have him walking around, he's wearing a pink shirt, white pants and wandering around post drinking at, I think a gay bar. If I remember, there's definitely the strain of gay bars in these cases, but, um, and he, these guys are all very similar to Corey McKeague, Dakota James, Joey LeBute, all on their phone. And all these people were actively involved in like, either grinder or these other kind of pickup um, sites, which is pretty remarkable. And, you know, if you look at my conclusion, you know, I don't really want to go into the full summation of my documentary, but these guys are also, sure. the killers are involved in it, and the cops don't seem to put it together. So I wouldn't be surprised in some of these cases if the phone holds the evidence of the murder. And actually, I
1: completely agree, yes, absolutely. Um,
0: in, in, there's never been murders in L.A., but on the gay community here in West Hollywood, they've had criminals operating on grinder who like roll uh, gay men, you know, so, you know, they put up a fake thing and then the guy shows up and they get beat up. Somebody gets, takes all their money and, and walks out. So I think that some of these cases and some of these murders have something like that where, you know, then they end up murdered instead of their money. There's, oh, by the way, just to let the audience know, there's really no financial involvement in any of these cases. Nobody's cat credit cards are used. Nobody's money is taken. And that's a, that's another factual indicator of what's going on with these cases it's a no absolutely
1: yeah and that's and that's one of the strangest uh aspects of this phenomenon is if this was a robbery the individuals would be missing cash rolex watches right. cell phones right. these kind of items that are left found on bodies yeah. and, of these victims and it just does not compute with the the facts of the situation right. that they just it's, accidentally right. drowned
0: Right, too. And why are their b- belongings found in piles where they were last seen? You know, some of the cases, I think it's in La Crosse, like they're found by the this um, statue of the of the Indian chief, you know, which I found out later was a gay pickups joint or gay pickup area. So, Interesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just the whole financial aspect of it, it isn't viable. It's not a viable way, you know, path to, to go down.
1: No and I think uh I think you're spot on with that assessment there William and I think joey Labute is a is a is a prime example that is a case that certainly attracted my attention while I'd been monitoring this phenomenon and kind of like some how some folks you know watch a sports team and follow the season and stats i I kind of did the same thing with the smiley face killers for for about a decade now Wow so you go with that what what yeah,
0: peaked, what piqued your interest or how did you get uh involved in, in following the cases
1: i'd say initially uh back around 2008 uh, i was a former air force military police uh member and i was stationed at a headquarters unit in san antonio texas at the time but uh when this whole smiley face killer kind of phenomenon i feel like first hit the at least it hit my radar around that time mm-hmm. i saw it on some news programs and uh my younger brother at the time was a professor at Iowa State uh, teaching there, and I felt like, you know, he might fit the, the target victim profile and kind of right in that region. So I, I definitely recall having a conversation with him about it, you know, circa 10 years ago. Right, smart. I mean, I think everybody should have con-
0: conversation with any younger men, college-age men, you know, they, that's the group, that's the con- 18 to 28, sometimes a little older, but um, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's yeah, I mean, in, in all honesty, I think that that may be the only way to kind of stave off sheer disaster come in some of these situations is the education yeah, of, of hey, you gotta, you got to be aware of this. This is something that occurs.
0: And I think that that's why this phenomenon has continued is because most of the victims don't see it coming. None of them, you know. I would um, agree with yeah, you on that. So they, j- they're you. just a night. And most men, I think, generally feel comfortable walking home from a bar at night. They generally, nobody, and women are not comfortable at all. Like No no woman ever leaves a bar at night and walks home alone. Very rarely they'll get a cab or get a friend to pick them up. So, you know, the victim group is very substantial if, if there's a predator out there, you know, or serial killer.
1: No, and I think if men were more prepared in situations, more educated, like, as you stated, women, you know, often are when they're out and about late at night going to different bars and whatnot. I think if men were more educated, there definitely would be less instances of this. So you, you've read Drowning Forensics then, huh? You read that? I have. I, yeah. I came across that book in some of my own studies, personal studies, when I was in grad school studying criminal justice. and, and get it in the library? Um, yes, yeah, actually, yeah. yep. Yeah, that's where and I found you can, mine. You yeah. can find that. It, actually, I found that you can find that book in a lot of university libraries.
0: Mm-hmm. I've actually found it in, yeah, quite a few. I found yeah. mine at
1: UC Irvine, so
0: you're out here in California.
1: And it, and it really is a very, very excellent book in the field of, you know, forensic studies. I mean, the forensics are incredible. You know, I've never
0: really been into forensics, but I appreciated the details and all the analysis and all the the references that are in that book. You know,
1: no doubt. Sure. But back to Joey Labute, when he, he so he's a Cincinnati native, he disappeared out of Columbus, Ohio cincinnati native at least his family is because it was all over the news here in cincinnati Where are I you brought,
0: in, you're in, are you in cincinnati right now i am yes okay gotcha
1: yep and uh so i you know i really took notice of that that kind of really struck home to me that you know there's you know while i had been aware of this phenomenon and kind of following it over the years you know and no one had really uh you know been a cincinnati person so it was never like kind of right in my face or anything like that or so I really took notice of that following Joey Labute. Yeah, that was remarkable. That was one of the cases where I've noted his disappearance. Jim Smith has been
0: a researcher kind of going down the same path as me. There's been a couple others. His names I don't want to divulge, but um, he's the one who informed me about his disappearance. And LeBute is remarkable in a lot of ways because in that weekend that he disappeared was the Arnold Schwarzenegger weightlifting or some kind of bodybuilding think so there was a large amount of people from the outside and i've always traced some of these cases to people traveling you know that the perps are sure. not just in that location they go there's what the, cases like there was a case of a guy who died that uh who disappeared and died when um obama became president there was a celebration in chicago that guy disappeared so these big festivals or meetings and that goes jimmy slack in pittsburgh if you remember that case he was coming out of a uh, yeah, all these places actually Kelleher, Hurley, these guys are all coming out of either uh, sports concerts, arenas right? or concerts, right? So, yeah. um Le Butte was like that. And the interesting thing about Le Butte, which a lot of people missed, is he was at a bar, but um, and also uh, gay, you know, his family uh, confirmed that, but across the bar was a gay bar that was owned by the same bar he was in. So he could have walked out and crossed the street into that bar and, you know, that was the end. Sure. Something like that.
1: <clears throat> I felt, uh, I also felt that LeBute was a was a remarkable case because he was not, his, the folks he was with, his cousin and friends, I believe, stated he was not drunk. He had two drinks or something to that effect. Right. He walked out of the bar on his own recognizance without his coat, without his you know, his belongings and didn't tell anybody. Right. And so it they, seems yeah. that he is getting, maybe maybe got uh, attracted to go somewhere, maybe got invited to go somewhere.
0: Didn't his last text have, like, that weird JST, like he was trying to spell a word, but he couldn't do it? So, yes, JST, it there was JST some jumbled message or something, I can't remember. Some jumbled message, something yeah. like that. So, yeah, that's a remarkable case. And then you have these other instances where, like, the CCTV doesn't freaking work. So he's in this bar that's bustling and the managers don't have good CCTV of him leaving. It's incredible. It's almost like it's a cover up. I'm not saying uh, that yeah, the bar owners well, are in it, but like you couldn't have C I I mean you're operating a venue where people come and go and throw you need to have I mean especially if you have 200 people or 100 people in your bar, you got to have CCTV in a high functioning bar because people slip and fall, absolutely. false claims, supposedly Lies, get the ra- liability
1: issues. Yeah, sure.
0: Absolutely. So it's a it's a joke.
1: No, I I think you make a good point because if there were folks stalking young men that uh, the bar would be the perfect place to go do that from. So working in a bar, owning a bar. I mean, I know there's an there's a often attributed, uh, I think, misattributed statement to a famous bank robber. But it's something it goes something to the effect of why do you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. Right. Well, right. if you're looking to stalk young drunk men. Where do you go? Where do you go? Late at you... night.
0: You try to drug them. I mean, what if you're like women, right? What if you go to where the women are, like dance bars or places like that, right? Pedophiles sure. go to like Catholic church or something like that. I don't know. You know, people go to what they're, what they're looking for. So if you <laughs> like. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that one of the interests, there's another case that came out of, I can't remember the guy's name, Truth or Consequences, but they, this guy was, he ended up dying before he got tried. But Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. But he had a group okay. of three women and he was drugging women and taking them into some torture room for years. And they couldn't find the bodies because they were taken out into the high desert. Desert.
1: But I uh, believe I've studied that case yeah. is That the toy box killer. Yeah, toy box killer. Toy? Yeah.
0: So, I okay. mean, this is an incredible thing. Now, the, the victims are females. However, where are they going to find victims? A bar,
1: and yeah, I believe yeah. GHB, all those victims came out. of the bar.
0: GHB, right? So they're being drugged. They're being taken out. And they have a woman who, who, in a lot, you know, it's like the Harvey Weinstein thing. They put the women, put the other women at ease, right? Because this woman is, you know, she doesn't have these other ulterior motives that men do. So, um, sure, yeah.
1: Psychologically speaking, that that should yeah. definitely put folks at ease. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: So. So the, you know that's just another example. That was something that I came across, and these, and this is just in my opinion. These are just these are victims of that men stalking men. You know, sure. So the serial killers are still out there. There's probably a couple, two, three serial killers wandering around. And people should know that. I mean, there's probably at any given time a lot of serial killers in anywhere. But I think that there are serial killers targeting. Targeting men. I mean, what was uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, right? He had a certain target group. He would go to bars, right? And didn't he drug sure. his victims? Same kind of nightmare stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of his uh, his activities, his mode of operations do sound and seem very similar to what could be occurring here. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. Now, I, you bring up a good point, and you highlighted it very well in, in your documentary as well about the GHB of victims. Mm-hmm. Now, relative to Joey LeBute, I think that's a good possibility because you mentioned the Arnold Classic it was in Columbus, Ohio, the same weekend he disappeared. Right. Well, that's GHB is a huge right. product right used there. amongst bodybuilders.
0: Right. They use it to what bulk up or something like that. Yeah.
1: It helps the muscles rest at night. A gotcha. lot of too many. I spent too many uh, you know misguided years inside a weight room gotcha. trying, you know being a personal trainer and whatnot. So I'm I'm vaguely familiar with that uh, that community and. GHB is very popular interesting
0: yeah I mean that's I mean it's scary too because in these cases there's so many people getting drugged that a bodybuilder would know or it's they're almost like bodybuilders are like almost pharmacists they know all these different substances yeah, so, yes. it works. so like they know all that's this good crazy stuff yeah so I mean that could be that could be a perp you know as a, as a bodybuilder somebody really obsessed with their body
1: I think it's definitely worth further uh, further scrutiny on the, on on the subject. Yeah. So,
0: um yeah, it's interesting the LeBute case too. You wrote in this this outline that at least the PD that was the one that said they were not in the water the entire
1: 3 weeks. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was perfect. That's what I was going to bring up and I think that's that kind of speaks to a lot of the other cases, but that's a prime example
0: yeah.
1: of what could potentially be the first, honest law enforcement, you know, department to conduct an investigation on one of these victims. Yeah,
0: I mean that's amazing.
1: Yeah, so because... I mean I
0: remember because they had they have very good on the on the scene reporting of the Joey LeBute body find in the Seattle oh, River. Yeah, and yeah, and, and if you look at that river, it's basically a pond. He was actually in a, a kind of a tributary, a little roundabout pond area, which makes it even less likely that he drowned. You know, so it's like a body dump. You know.
1: And, oh, I've uh, I've been not specifically necessarily to his area, but I've been on the Scioto River there through Columbus before, and it's not a it's not like a rushing river by any stretch of the imagination. Right.
0: So that's one. I mean, the, the other thing is the Dakota James too. I mean, I'm t- people are telling me that guy, he wasn't in the water more than two days. That means he's missing for thirty eight days. Where is he? Same. Yeah, with that's better, a good.
1: All these that's a good saying. example, too, with Dakota James, because in your documentary, you had a clip from the Pittsburgh Police Department stating they had just searched that location right. days earlier. Yeah. I mean, she walks, she, she, the lady who's the spokeswoman
0: turns from the mic, when did you last search? And the guy says, oh, we were there this weekend. You know. So.
1: And I, I think that's one of the key areas that you did a good job highlighting is the fact that the bodies were not in its final location, the victim's body, not in its final location during the entire duration that the individual was missing right i mean it's the same thing look at
0: uh, what shane montgomery another perfect example
1: oh that's a great example amazing case that's
0: the case outside of philadelphia in manny and i mean the water is three feet deep they're checking the water and all of a sudden bing his body appears you know and the guy the cop says you know he's in three feet of water four feet of water
1: Oh, yeah. And even before that, I believe that's the case where they found his car keys that's in the right. same perf-
0: That's right. That's very true. So, And, you can and then fa-
1: suddenly, yeah. two weeks later, the body's in the same spot. Like, yeah. that's pretty... I mean, there's... Come on. So you can find <laughs> yeah. the
0: keys, but you can't find somebody who's six feet tall. Give me a break. And that guy no, exactly. fits the victim profile, too. Like, the BMI, super skinny, you know, sure. young. The, I mean, somebody... I've talked to people online, and they, the BMI theory, there's almost nobody that's overweight, even mildly overweight. The only one is probably that one guy out of New York. I can't remember his name. uh, Strozak. He was like the only budgy one, but everybody else is in good shape.
1: Sure. I believe you also brought up the case of Tommy Booth out of Pennsylvania in your documentary, correct?
0: That was one of the, that was one of the Gannon Gilbertson cases. Which is,
1: yeah, which I like to point to because there's some, again, forensic science behind there to say, well, look, this guy, it's been, you know, fairly well established. He did not accidentally drown. This is, in fact, a murder. Right.
0: That's a good point. And they, this is an easily area place that people... Another example, people search, search, search. And here he is. I mean, I don't think he was even deep in water. He was really on the shore when they found him you know, face down. And that's another example of like... With an
1: eyesight of the bar that he disappeared from, right? Correct?
0: I mean, it's, yeah, it's not even that far, 50 feet. And that's another one where the smiley face is there. But that was even in, more interesting because... Gannon and Gilbertson recorded that his family didn't like the people he was seeing there. There was like a hyper sigil of all these weird markings that included a smiley face on the back of the bar near where he was found. And they have surmised that... uh, They wrote that in that that he might have seen something or did something that freaked these people out and they killed him for it. But they also... There was the guitarist. There was a picture of a guy who was on the scene that night wearing a smiley face t-shirt. Like it's wow. just yeah, I did super, not know that. Yeah, super crazy. So that is crazy. Yeah, he's that's an important case. The booth case is a very important case.
1: I think that detail though, like you said, with this, where there's a guy there with a smiley face on his t-shirt, and and it doesn't sound like that was objectively investigated yes. at any point in time like, after that. Well,
0: that goes back to the other thing about people traveling around. These bands are traveling around, the people for. The Arnold Classic are traveling, go to another city, do their tr- crime or whatever, and leave. But uh, I think Booth had also had injuries that were consistent with torture. He had markings where a cigarette was put out on the back of his hand. You know, hmm. and I have to go back and look at that autopsy, but I think that he had he was having now, that aspects sounds, of torture. That sounds correct, yeah.
1: absolutely. He forgot. did have some... some like, uh, his something. face
0: was beat. Like, yeah, I forgot. I, 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 some a, sort of
1: abuse. Yeah, that was another,
0: you know, abduction, torture, murder. So,
1: and it's wild. So well, now we've discussed a number of these facts and the details, and you know how there's forensic science behind a number of these victims. What what do you feel is is suppressing? Like, what's the impetus or what's the purpose that's suppressing all of this? And I think you, know, I, you
0: I think if there's overt and covert means of they're suppressing it, one overt okay. is these cases are happening over time, so it's not like some of these other serial killers where they kill a bunch of people in two months. Um, it's almost like there's a delay, there's movement. So, but I do think that in certain people in Boston know something's going on, I think, because it yeah, yeah. also lacrosse, but Seems some of these like other well. cities don't. But, uh, I also think the incentive of the cops is to take things off the book. So an accidental drowning is a much easier thing than trying to ascertain a complex MO and motive and try to find out what's going on. I mean, it would take to, to, un- I mean, that's probably why none of these people, Well, some people have clearly been busted because I show it in my documentary, but, um, they would have to do a lot of things to, to find possible victims. So um,
1: I completely agree. I, I think a lot of it is very politically motivated, Yeah. you know, whether it be they don't want a murder on their hands to scare the community, right. or I even leave open the possibility that there's, you know, political players that are involved. right Well, I've in had the, that in the entire network.
0: I talked to an ex FBI agent. Um what's his name? It'll come to me. It's uh I can't remember his name, but he said that there's politics involved. There's politics and the reason why. And another thing is, is I think that, that's
1: a solid assessment. Yeah, yeah, a lot
0: of these colleges, they always cover up murders and all kinds of stuff. They don't want to spook the parents. Yeah, that's billions pay...
1: of dollars. I can see that for sure, yeah.
0: Millions. Those are businesses, dude. Those are huge yeah, businesses. They don't want to say your son or daughter could get murdered or raped and and freak people out. Well, I'm not sending them to the University of Minnesota. <laughs> the University of Minnesota right. is an epicenter of murder, man. There are people getting murdered all the time there. And, I mean, they they would never want to, oh, yeah, well, we've had 10 killings that, you know, we've never accounted for. Your son could potentially end up in the river. They'd never say that. So... You know, I think that there's a lot of financial incentives to keeping it quiet.
1: Absolutely. I think you, yeah, I think you're spot on there. there. I mean, if you start having, you know, I think there was an issue a few years ago at the University of Ithaca, for example, and they, the University of Ithaca had a number of their students winding up dead in the uh, the ravine, the creek, the river that runs right right along the university, and they were issuing out statements, you know, these are not related. These are, you know, no one's killing these kids, and I think that is just a, to protect their bottom line. I agree.
0: I, I think that that's, it's kind of like, what is it? The Jaws thing, you know, where they're at the Amity Island or whatever. And you can't think the, the, the mayor's like, you can't tell people there's a shark out there. This is our biggest weekend, you know? Right. Oh yeah, It's kind of right. like that. i, I kind of feel like it's the same thing in the movie. The guy who I talked to, ex-FBI agent, John D'Souza, um, okay. I talked to him. It's a good interview, if, if any of you or your listeners. But I think he was right on point. I think he got it right. You know, he understood that there was kind of an occult aspect to some of these and also that the politics oh, keeps people out of it, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I think a lot of times, you know, the politics and the occult aspects of our society go hand in hand. Well, I agree. Well, I mean,
0: how many of these cops are Masons? How many of these cops are in the occult? You know, I mean, a lot of these, these people in the uh, police pe- departments are Masons. Probably the chief, So, if there's an occult yeah, and it's influence- not
1: even just the Masons, though, that I think are into occult, you know, very occult uh, activities. You know, in our in our current day and age, I think it's just a number a wider spectrum of secret societies. Well, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And that's kind of that's kind of going to segue into my kind of my theory of the occult ritualistic natures of some of these murders. And uh, the theory I'm exploring is: are these smiley face killer victims? a modern-day example of a human sacrifice. Right, yeah. and well, that's that a good is, question. That's deeply rooted in, in you know, occult history. Absolutely. Original
0: sacrifices, No doubt. Well, I mean, yeah, there, there are witch sacrifices that involve water, you know, and uh, West Memphis III, uh, there's other people, Kenneth Anger, the King of Witches, Alexander's, they've all totemically dropped people in water to disperse. It's something to do with the spirit dispersing sure. in the water. So these are all water deaths, you know? And if you look at, at my documentary, I surmise that, you know, a lot of these people are pre drowned. They're not drowned in the, in the water they're in, you know? And, uh, and that's how it's easy to get the bodies in the water, make it sure. look like a drowning. So, uh,
1: and I think I, that's a prime example back to Joey LeBute when he, the you know, the Columbus PD said he's not been in the water for three weeks. He, He didn't die. He he most like, quote unquote, most likely died before going into the water.
0: Right, That's right.
1: So. So, yeah, I I mean,
0: I think your idea of human
1: sacrifice is not
0: outside of the realm of possibility. You know, I don't I don't I don't think I think. Yeah.
1: Have you come across any um, occult societies that in your research, your occult researches that have been focused or interested in the mounds that exist in America?
0: Not in Denver. I can't, I've come across the people writing about the mound theory and the, and the old Indian theory associated with the American crimes. Um, and just because of, like, for example, a cross, I think, had the statue of of the chiefs in Sinawa. There was writing. I think Gannon talked about it. People have talked about the Indian sure. aspect to it. and. You know, the the problem with me with that is that it's specified just in the Midwest because these crimes are happening in the U.K., Thailand, you know, all over Spain. There were cases. So um, for me, that would diminish the possibility of plausibility of somebody committing these crimes to have some kind of old, you know, Aztec style, Indian style human sacrifice. That's that sure. My What's your thought on it?
1: I think we as a society as as uh, America in general as a history goes have we we've been uh this this history of the mounds America's history of the mounds has been hidden away it's it's actually an occulted history of yeah, sorts. Yeah, no doubt.
0: Yeah, I mean some there's some cities by you called Moundsville, you know. They took the mounds oh, and they scraped them off, you
1: know. Well, that's funny you mention that cuz so modern day Moundsville, West Virginia, you have a 65-70 foot conical mound sitting there today now that mound specifically ties in directly into america's history because that was george washington's favorite mound
0: interesting i didn't know that
1: so george washington and all of the founding fathers were deeply interested in the mounds Mm -hmm. Uh, not just um washington and his secret society that he was the first that he that he started
0: what secret society is that
1: that's the society of the cincinnati
0: Oh, Cincinnati. yeah, right. I mean that's actually a huge have you ever seen that building that's in um DC? Cincinnati Society?
1: Oh, absolutely. I that's lived beautiful. in DC for yeah. about four years. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. What years were you there for?
1: Um, let's see here, maybe oh shoot, maybe six years. Two thousand and yeah, eight and two thousand and nine it was two thousand and eight to two thousand and twelve. Oh, so four years.
0: Recently, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, oh. I love that city. Yeah. Yep,
1: absolutely. But I—that's I, actually where I first discovered the Society of Cincinnati. I walked past their building. Right. Wasn't
0: Cincinnati like a Roman patriot? Isn't that where it comes from, Cincinnatus?
1: Cincinnatus, correct. Right. Yeah, he—he uh, he allegedly took over the uh, Roman Empire back in 500 BC, or I'm sorry, the Roman Republic in 500 BC, won some wars and then gave the power back that's to the right. people.
0: So that, and that's that, kind of how
1: Washington saw himself in the revolution of 1776. He saw himself leaving his farm like Cincinnati, and, you know, winning the war and giving the power back to the people. That's in fact, he he references Cincinnati, I believe, in his last speech to Congress. I think it's the Christmas Eve speech, I believe.
0: Interesting. I didn't know that. I wasn't aware it's, of that.
1: So the Society of the Cincinnati is all of the officers, and I believe some of the enlisted folk from the, from Washington's army in the Revolution.
0: Interesting. Fascinating.
1: They formed in May of 1783 versus America was formed in September of 1783. Wow. So before it even happened.
0: Yeah, there's all kinds of strange things that happened right there at the founding of the country. There was all kinds of, you know, they there was what, the Agreement of 1790, which was when Jefferson, Madison, and Hamilton all decided to put the Capitol there at D.C.
1: was done oh, at absolutely. a closed-door
0: meeting in New York.
1: And, and said, all the men you just named there are all very interested in the mounds.
0: Well, that's fascinating. I mean, the mounds flow through American history. What do you, uh, The whole basis of the Latter-day Saints was mound theory, right? I mean, all these plates are in right. mounds. So it was something that was in the... The original colonists—they're clearly—they knew there were other civilizations here when they moved to the oh, Midwest. absolutely! Yeah. yeah,
1: I actually grew up Mormon. They're very okay. interested in the mounds. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: all the Joseph Smith big thing—he found his plate in the mound, and that was the history. Was all these different civilizations and they're fighting, and I mean, oh, absolutely! You know, the myths of the, the Mormons are pretty good, but
1: um, yeah. So back to back to kind of where I was, where my theories heading with these mounds versus the smiley face killer. I just want to build a greater, quick picture of the mountains in america literally america is built on the mounds the first free city in 1783 washington pennsylvania just south of pittsburgh that was built on what is known today as some of the oldest rock art and mounds in america interesting now that same guy that founded that city his son moved the capital of ohio when he was the governor of ohio moved the capital to modern-day columbus i didn't know that and when they moved that capital, they took the contents of a mound to make the cornerstone brick of the Ohio oh, State wow. Capitol. Wow, that's amazing. And that's about, if there weren't two blocks of buildings in between, that would be within eyesight of where Joe Lebuque was found.
0: Right. Just and to then, kind of give so, you a
1: reference point. So
0: then the other place is close to Pittsburgh or whatever, right? The
1: Washington, Spring Hill,
0: Yeah, Spring Hill is close to outside of Pittsburgh by 10 miles or something.
1: Uh, something like that. Yeah. So basically the, 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 all of these men of the society, these, these were the men that drew the maps of America. Right. They George, George
0: Washington started as a map, uh, right. Map maker.
1: Yep. A- absolutely. And so they, the society began documenting all these mounds all the way across the U.S. I mean, even we'll take La Crosse, Wisconsin, for example, the first map that was drawn there was by, um, Lieutenant Zebulon Pike,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who is, Pike's Peak, namesake gotcha. for Pike's uh-huh. Peak, the mountain in Colorado. Yep. And you know, he was there documenting the mounds. Fascinating. You know, so like you're saying his, this, this,
0: this the Society of Cincinnati is documenting these mounds.
1: They that's where that was their first mission. So they gotcha. it appears that they started documenting these mounds immediately following the Revolutionary War, setting up cities around in and around the mounds. So I'm talking seventeen eighty three, all the way to eighteen thirty eight. When Texas is, you know, being founded, that was founded in Nagadoches, and that was on on in and around mounds of Nagadoches.
0: Fascinating. So you're saying that the 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 society, society of Cincinnati created cities based upon mound structures.
1: Absolutely. Gotcha. And to speak to your worldwide um, phenomenon of you know these style of killings that, that occur in other in other countries now. The, there's a whole worldwide network of mounds. Now, granted, with a Christopher Columbus 1492 American history, it doesn't work that the mounds are connected.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, No one in you know modern-day history or archaeology connects the mounds of America to the mounds of the U.K., for example. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. However, I think they're incorrect. Okay. <laughs> Much like Christopher Columbus didn't found America in 1492. Right. Right. So... George Washington obviously had an affinity for these mounds, built two replicas, 70-foot replicas of his favorite mound on mm-hmm. Mount Vernon. Okay. His, his secret society set up cities all around America on, in and around these mounds for decades. I mean, long past Washington's life, they were still doing this for some reason. Okay. And Washington just happens to be the direct descendant of a Knights Templar who was a primary player in the Magna Carta so 1100 is that right 1215 1215, 1215. okay so magna carta is i mean by modern day historians is recognized as the predecessor to the constitution right. the us constitution
0: individual liberty ability to you know talk to the king or whatever entreat the Absolutely. King. habeas Freedom, corpus liberties. habeas
1: corpus right absolutely okay. all you know most of our you know like i said the us like you know like the the items you just identified derived from the Magna Carta to the U.S. Constitution. So I find it odd that Washington is a direct descendant of the man who was responsible for the Magna Carta. Okay. So there's over a 500-year period between the two items, but yet it seems to be a lineage between the two. Okay, definitely an ideo-
0: ideological lineage through the what, Anglo-Saxon legal system, legal history.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, that's definitely the basis. So, what's the so, tie
0: between why is the mounds? Why is somebody abducting young men? And what's the connection between that and the mounds?
1: So, I'd, real quick, just to connect the American and UK mounds, real fast. Okay. The um, the Knights Templar set up in and around the mounds of the UK when they took over that land, okay. so to speak. So that's what the Spanish.
0: That, that's what the Spanish did when they took over Mexico. Almost all those main cities are based upon a, a mound or a uh, some kind of temple or pyramid, right? And you well, can even say that about modern day Israel. Even Tel Aviv, Tel, is a mound, right? So sure. modern day Israel is built on a freaking mound. There's tons of mounds in the Middle East. I mean, there's mounds all over the world, probably. Absolutely, America, they're America. all over the
1: world. And yeah. to speak to your Spanish settlement of Mexico, well, the, the Knights Templar weren't restricted to a to a nation. They were a worldwide um, organization and very very focused and headquartered out of. Uh, Spain, just the same they were Scotland.
0: Interesting. I didn't know that.
1: And the U.K. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Basically
0: tons of knights that invaded Mexico. I actually did a, if you want to go to my YouTube channel, I have a, a six-part series where I talk about Bernal Diaz's history of the invasion of Mexico by Hernan Cortez. Really fascinating.
1: Interesting. Yeah. No, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, it's, ama- it's an amazing conquest. I mean, the two civilizations, they just destroyed the Aztecs, and the Aztecs were, you know, I mean, the interesting thing about the Aztecs is they were building a city next to another city that they didn't even know its provenance, you know, they they were in Tenochtitlan, and there was another one, Teotihuacan, which they just said was owned by the god people, you know, it was the temple of the gods, they had no idea where it came from, it's another total, another civilization, so these other civilizations clearly existed in the United States, UK, even before, you know, modern history, probably before bc you know some 1000 bc 2000 bc i don't
1: know sure so that um that was a quick i gave you a quick um kind of just uh 101 on the american mound history and how they might actually connect to the uk mounds okay. there might actually be a you know and if that's true then how much further do they connect is my next question but but back to the topic at hand as far as the smiley face killings go and just i i I've, I've honestly just started off with the um, cases outlined in drowning, uh, Drownings and Forensics. Gotcha. Because I can point to these are actual cases. Now I. Right, what's that, 20 cases maybe? Yeah, I think it's a dozen. Eight, yeah, eight, maybe 13.
0: 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, they did four, 14.
1: They did 14 cases. That sounds right. So I've kind of started there and uh, in starting to write this series. Of my kind of my thesis on the matter, mm-hmm. and part of that that thesis, my you know my theory about the mounds being modern day sites of ritualistic sacrifices, these many of these sites were the site of ancient you know ritual sacrifices. Right, right, right.
0: Aztecs always drag their victims up to the top of one of these temples and cut their heart out, right?
1: Oh yeah, I mean they they seem to have some. Fairly bloody uh, rituals.
0: Yeah. Really now, bloody,
1: the, yeah. the ones in the mounds are less documented as far as the um, the activities of the rituals go, but I think it's fairly well established from modern-day anthropologists and archaeologists that the individuals that were sacrificed were of the same community. They weren't visitors to the area,
0: Interesting. et
1: cetera. Okay. Now, one of the ritualistic uh, mounds that were used, one of the mounds used for ritualistic sacrifice um, at one of the larger mound cities still, still, that still exists today, is in Cahokia, which is southern Illinois, just across the river from St. Louis.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that mound is known as the Rattlesnake Mound. Or, as you previously identified as one of the, uh, the uh, clues from the original detectives relative to some of their cases in their book, Sincinnawa, was a road where one of the individuals disappeared from. It was also allegedly uh, marked at a site, one of the sites in Michigan for a victim. Well, Sincinua means rattlesnake mound.
0: Interesting. Fascinating.
1: So I, you know, there are some, you know, a uh, very kind of rough um, connections, tenuous connections to mounds already based upon their research. From the right. original detectives. Right. So I kind of took that a step further and I said, well, if this, if this could be a thing, then um, where are there not mounds? So I identified an entire state that there are not mounds. Which That's is? New Mexico. Okay. And I compared that, their, their city of Albuquerque, to the city of La Crosse, as far as statistics go relative to these style drownings, these quote-unquote accidental drownings. So given the details of what we've kind of already established as some of the key facts in these, you know, these incidents, mm-hmm. Albuquerque registers zero drowning incidents that would qualify under these kind of smiley face killing, you know, right. um, characteristics. Same MO, right, yeah. so low Cross, Wisconsin, for example, they have eight plus victims, right? And roughly, I think, believe what the last 20 years, maybe, Sounds right. I mean they've had quite a few. So Lacrosse, Wisconsin has a high concentration of mounds. Quite possibly Wisconsin seems to have the highest concentration of effigy mounds throughout the entire world. Interesting. So are you saying uh, you
0: think that this mound is associated with the Secret Society of the Cincinnatus?
1: Well, while well, they definitely had a great interest in the mounds. Um, other secret societies since then have definitely showed interest as well, including the ca- secret societies within the Catholic Church, the Vatican, mm-hmm. the Jesuits, uh, to be more specific. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to call Walmart a modern-day secret society, I mean, what is the what does the Walmart family own? About one hundred and fifty billion dollars, at least, yeah. And you know, we don't. No one knows what they discuss in their board meetings, but they have a they they show a great pattern of building. Walmart stores on top of mounds.
0: Really interesting. I didn't know
1: that. And they're not the only ones. I mean, government buildings, uh, right. Catholic churches, Masonic lodges. I mean, there are a lot of secret societies that that definitely in, enjoy these mounds or have an affinity for these mounds. Right. So, what what I'm what, more what I'm saying is that I I see it more as a modern day occult group, um, essentially. Following some practices they maybe they they have throughout history, maybe they're newer practices they're just applying to older occult sites. Interesting. So, and just in comparison, where Lacrosse has eight plus victims, they have fifty-two thousand residents, eleven thousand students. Albuquerque zero victims, zero mounds, ten times the population is Lacrosse, three times as many students as Lacrosse, and the river goes right through town. So it seems odd that there wouldn't be uh, any, at least some correlation, you know what I mean, between those two locations.
0: Yeah, it's odd. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I mean, I think that the mounds, there's, there could be something there. But for me, I think the motivation is, you know, there. I mean, there's always been my thought in the back of my mind that there's some kind of, like, human sacrifice aspect to this. Like mm-hmm. If you look at... Uh, God, what was it? Um, if you look at the old myth of Hadrian, right, he had his lo- his ideal gay lover was this guy by the name of Antinus, right? Antonus, who popped up mm-hmm. in the whole Pizzagate investigation. With oh, I'm, I'm familiar. The, right, right, and, in, and he supposedly drowned, or was drowned, or sacrificed in the Nile, right? So, oh, I
1: did not know that.
0: Yeah, so that and that is that Antinous is like a gay ideal that has gone on for thousands of years within that community, right? Is this kind of like this young lover and then he dies when he's young. So, you know, it might be, have something like that, you know, so. Yeah, it's very possible. And that there's your sacrifice, there's your kind of thing, you know. Um, but I have to look into more into this mound stuff. But I think that the the thing is, is that, There's some out here in L.A. that you you know of Van Zandt, but there was Robertson, a couple other guys. Yeah, I sent you
1: Van Zandt. That's an interesting case. I I actually served time with that man in the, uh, like I said, the Air Force military police on a deployment. And we have common people or had common people, I I presume. Do you um, think that
0: he was abducted or do you think he disappeared or committed suicide?
1: I wouldn't have any personal, um, you know, thing to weigh in on that. However, I, I do say his, his, his case seems very suspect to fall oh. in the same line of, of smiley face victims.
0: Yep. Same thing. Out at a bar. I, You know, I, I live by there. I live by Hermosa. So I know exactly where that liquor store was that he was last seen. But, they, you know, the cops there did some more research, and they said that he was last seen with a group of people he didn't know going into a parking uh, garage, you know, which I know exactly where that parking garage is, so.
1: Interesting. Super
0: sketchy. Yeah, that's a real odd one. He was.
1: I, I think a lot of times, like just like that, there's an additional detail that could weigh in heavily on solving these cases.
0: I agree. I totally For example, agree. two
1: of the early cases, they they wrestled together on the same varsity high school team. That's right. Uh, varsity, yeah, varsity wrestling team in Wisconsin.
0: Well, there were two other cases where the parents worked together at the same high school. It was, uh, which I didn't include. What was that guy's name? It was in Wisconsin. I think it was... It'll come to me.
1: Where yeah, I mean, Wisconsin's a hotbed because I know five of the victims are from the same county, and one of the victims, his father was the sheriff in that county.
0: Wow, no, It was Nathan Edberg. No, what was it? It's Nick Rossini and Nathan... No, it was Nick Rossini and somebody out of Wisconsin, Minnesota... Rossini and somebody else, the mothers knew each Ooh. other, and they both ended up. I'm not And with Rossini that all. was one in the documentary where, like,
1: out jogging and then found
0: in three feet of water, you know, super sketchy. Um,
1: That sounds very why? sketchy. Whenever they go out jogging for something like that and they expect to come back shortly and, poof, don't, disappeared. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. But relative to Van Zant, I know that uh, – there's not earthen mounds in in California. However, there's a great record of seashell mounds. Right. In that That's true. Beach.
0: Well, there was seashell mounds all over California. That were they they were this invaluable repository of thousands of years of history from people who had lived in California for absolutely. millennia, and they just scraped them off. There were yep. huge ones in Berkeley, and nor- I'm from Northern California, and all okay. around the Bay Area. They had oh, these yeah, mounds. Bay Area, absolutely. So the The local Indian, what the local natives would go down to the same spots and fish for these clams or shells or oysters or whatever it was and chuck them and chuck the the remnants in the same spot for millennia and they were gone. And then some of those were supposedly like three stories high, they were huge. Sure. So it's, uh, oftentimes
1: I think those are attributed to just kind of garbage. However, the ones that were actually excavated for archaeological surveys uh in oregon and in washington and is and on the east coast as well in new york boston philadelphia the seashell mounds Mm -hmm. they all had they had burials in there there was there was stuff in there
0: yeah i'm not surprised not surprised at all in
1: fact i can i can i can think of immediately think of a, a seashell mound that was used for ritual sacrifices on the columbia river in uh i guess i don't know if it was the uh the Washington end of the Columbia or the Oregon end but it's it's somewhere there not
0: surprised not surprised at all yeah so I, I mean, you know I, a lot I, of I lost
1: history. beach is being a site of a former seashell mound I, I don't have that you know specific evidence like I do in Columbia but for the Columbia River site but you know I think there's a lot of correlations that can be drawn there
0: yeah I wouldn't know you know la was uh, never Never heavily populated. It wasn't really ten- a tenable place to live. You know, it was just basically chaparral. So even before the Spanish, you know, there were very small Indian communities, you know. Sure. Or Native communities. So, yeah, I don't know.
1: I'm just looking through my notes right here on what other, what other mounds I had listed as far as their specific cases. So Dakota James, I don't know for a fact that there was a mound at that location. However, he was found on Neville Island. Right. And that's right. Neville Island is its namesake is for Colonel Neville.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was the aide de camp to General Washington.
0: Interesting. So there's something his, going on there. Yeah.
1: His son was the aide de camp to Lafayette, the French commander. Right. Because the it. Society of Cincinnati is a French and American society. So it's on both sides. Didn't know that. Yeah. And Lafayette was the head of the French side. Now, Neville's son, Major Neville, was Lafayette's aide de camp. And Major Neville founded a a town here in Claremont County, Ohio, just outside of Cincinnati, named uh, Neville, Ohio. And you can go visit it today. There's a mound in the center of town still. So they built that town, Neville, Ohio, around a mound. I would not be surprised if Neville Island is named for the same reason. Interesting.
0: No idea. So Alexander Hamilton was a member of the Society of Cincinnati.
1: He was the second president, yep. So here's the other common thing. You can can see this in, like, Madison, Wisconsin, for example. So from Franklin, Massachusetts to Jefferson County, Washington, the state of Washington, these areas, for some reason, are named after these founding fathers, these Society of Cincinnati members as well, who had interests in these mounds. For example, Jefferson County in the state of Washington, large mound group, um, and it's, it basically works like that all across the U.S. Madison, Wisconsin; Franklin, Ohio; Franklin County, Ohio, which is the city of Columbus. It's uh, it, it's just a name game that I've I've kind of identified with with looking at these mounds.
0: So the Cincinnati Society is t- is fully it's a it's a hereditary society.
1: It's a modern day knighthood. Right, you Just, have to bleed blood in. Can't absolutely. Interesting. Branches in the United States and France.
0: Third century. Promotes the public interest in the revolution through its library, museum collections, publications, other activities. Oldest hereditary society in the United States. Does not allow women to join. Her. There's a partnership called the Daughters of the Cincinnati.
1: And it's- I don't know where they stand as an organization and in interest to the mounds today, but, for example, based upon my understanding of modern-day masonry, there's a lot of their, quote-unquote, secrets that they've lost. I, I could very well see the modern-day society of Cincinnati has no knowledge of these mounds. Or they could have a lot of knowledge. I, I don't know.
0: Interesting. So Washington was the head from 83 to 1799.
1: Yep, till, his, till he died. He, his last speech, he left Mount Vernon, traveled days in a wagon to get to Philadelphia to address the society before going back to Mount Vernon to pass away, basically, maybe two months later. Do you think that he knew he was going to die? It certainly kind of seems that way, you know, given given the circumstances. Gotcha. Was it 1796?
0: Um, the farewell address? Is that what you're talking
1: about? The farewell address to... I believe that would have been his farewell address to Congress. Now, I believe he mentioned Cincinnati referring to himself in that farewell address to Congress. see it in there. I can uh, I can definitely send you a link. I would love
0: to read that, yeah. That would be very interesting.
1: Now, back to La Crosse, you mentioned Riverside Park, the Hiawatha statue being tied to five of the victims. Hiawatha, since that's right, yeah. And now, that's a, there's lots of, I've, I've mapped the mounds in that location. It's all in that, that little corner because that's a very important mound area because that's the convergence of three rivers. So, Let me ask you this question. If it's
0: a, something is associated with these deaths by the mounds, why haven't there been reports of young men being abducted and disappearing for hundreds of years?
1: I, I think uh, that's a great question. I, th- I think uh, much like the obfuscation of facts that we face today on this subject, be it the FBI's statement about there being no, no evidence of a smiley face killer, or being at the political statements from local governments or local authorities, I think it's the same thing. It's obfuscation of facts. It's suppression of gotcha. So of there, information. there
0: may have been some group that is associated with the uh, mounds that is interested in sacrificing young men to these kind of old primitive gods or sure. something. Sure.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I, I leave open that you nailed it, but I leave open two possibilities to achieve that. Either there's always been a group, since, you know, it's a theology or a mindset or a philosophy that existed, you know, back when folks were sacrificing on the, the mounds that we know they were sacrificing in America. The ones, you know, in Cahokia, for example, we know folks got sacrificed from that community in that rattlesnake mound. So I'm saying either the theology continued in one in one you know lineage or modern day occult groups are trying to replicate those same activities at those, at those locations.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, here's another one. I I mean, I don't know. I mean, not in those groups, but they have some very strange ideas. You know, the ones that I included in my, uh, in my, my movie are very strange.
1: Oh, absolutely. When I saw some of the, some of the, uh, you know, your conclusions in your documentary, I was like, well, if there was a group that would be doing these type of activities, I think there William you right. just nailed it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it's crazy.
1: Um, so Todd guy, here's one for you, Todd guy, I think we can probably both agree that the forensics absolutely agree that he was murdered. Right. Um, there were, that was determined by, you know, numerous medical examiners and pathologists the, the circumstances surrounding his disappearance are bizarre, to say the least.
0: Yes, very
1: bizarre. And he lived and was found, lived around and was found around the Half Moon Lake Mound Group. Oh, so there's a mound group
0: around there? Oh, my God,
1: that's crazy. Right right there. He and there lived well, on, that's a hotbed. Half Moon Lake. He lived there. I mean, that's where he was at. Wow, that's amazing.
0: Those, you know, that whole west side of Michigan has tons of deaths. There was... Some I covered in there. There was a young kid, his name I can't remember right now. But um, there was another guy, a football player, who ended up dead face down um, up there. What was his
1: name? Um, Colin Fennerty. Colin
0: Fennerty, yes. Good, good. Yeah, Fennerty was up there.
1: Yeah, I got a, I got a pretty good memory like that. <laughs> That's good. That's good for
0: you, man. That's good. You're lucky. Um, so, where, who do I have up there? To, Gav, you know, with guy Travis Trobridge, Travis Trowbridge. Oh, Colin sorry, go Vizier, ahead. What Fennerty? was it? Colin Finerty, Travis Trowbridge was another one who died close to Guy
1: Okay, I'm, I'm not Travis familiar with Trowbridge. Yeah, he was, was that a Lansing.
0: No, it was east. It was East Michigan, but uh, he was. Okay. I did have, covered him briefly in um, in the documentary.
1: And I mean, even well, back to your question, I just I just had this thought. Back to your question of you know if you know how, if this has been occurring for so long, why don't we have a great record of it? I mean, Michigan. I just you know when we you just said that about Michigan. I don't think there's a city in Michigan that solves more than thirty percent of their of their homicides. Right.
0: No, I misspoke. So it's Western Michigan. I misspoke. It's Western Michigan, and even okay. that that force there is Huron Manistee. You know, it's it's an Indian name, right? The Huron.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Michigan's filled with, with mounds. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And I, I think Detroit honestly, is probably the top end of thinking homicide rates, and probably Flint's the low end. But you're talking ten percent, maybe 15 percent in Flint and maybe 30 percent in Detroit. So even in modern day, we're not solving but a percentage of of homicides in in some states, a small percentage. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, back to Todd Guy, the one thing I thought that I thought they that uh, Gilbertson and Gannon nailed in their book, Drowning in Forensic Science, there was the um, the notion that there was a, a possible suspect in Todd's the, you know, murder There was a cocaine dealer, I believe, from Lansing, Michigan
0: Yeah, that's right, something that, that, was they, that
1: they highlighted And Lansing's another town with uh, numerous of these uh these victims These alleged victims in numerous mounds
0: Yep, there's a lot going on through that whole road The 96 goes from Grand Rapids, Lansing Down to outside of Detroit um, Where is Ann Arbor? Yeah, Ann Arbor, there's a bunch, you know
1: yeah, it's crazy. And, I, and I've and i tweeted back and forth with your researcher from your documentary, um, Jim, Jim Smith. Smith. Yeah. And I believe one of his favorite locations is a Lake Hartwell, I believe. Is that Georgia? Georgia, down there yeah. where, where he's located. Yep. And, I mean, he and I were having a discussion the other day because Lake Hartwell and a number of the other areas around there are all sites and mounds. That's
0: amazing. Maybe there's some underground thing that does it. You know, like in my in my I surmise in my conclusion that there's groups talking to each other either through the dark web or through some kind of internet thing where they know this that's that's how they learned this MO, you know, to abduct and do all that stuff. There's been I covered a couple deaths outside of Georgia, actually. Who was it? It was uh what was
1: it? Nas Mohammed died. Oh, that was was a strange one. That was a strange one. That is a very strange one.
0: But that guy Hmm. There's a lot of fetish stuff involved with that dude, um, but yeah, yeah, it's crazy. He was the Australian. Yes, he's residing from Perth. with some friends. Maybe. Yeah, he's with Perth. He was couch surfing. And, okay. Uh, yeah, that one. I mean, I can talk. about yeah, I remember you
1: that off, case. That one stuck uh, in my head. It was very strange.
0: I can tell you some stuff offline that uh, just the police just dropped the ball on that one. Holy smokes!
1: So. It's- Seems to be the the trend in a lot of these cases, don't you think, William? Well,
0: I, yeah, I mean, I could, I mean, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit of uh, groundwork would have helped a lot in that case. You know what he was told, and what the police told, and what the people who knew him told—all different stories. He just ran. You know, they said he did acid and ran off, and then they found his body and he was beaten up. Like, so how did he get beaten up? Did he just run off, or did he get beaten up? Was his body dumped? There's another river dump. How do they know to dump in the river? How do people sure. know to destroy the evidence? You know.
1: So. yeah I mean it does it does seem like there must be some sort of network of communications out there some there's some medium through yeah, some through some way. yeah
0: I mean these the rise of these cases uh, conform to the rise of the internet going back to McNeil 1996-97 you know why yeah, is that's that? an excellent point How does that that's happen? An excellent point I mean you, you can trace those cases back there are the, 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 there's a bunch of deaths in Sydney Australia like 50 or 60 body dumps in that it just the Bay of Sydney itself. Um. Even before the internet, so how is wow. this happening? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. It's all over the place. It's happening all over the place.
1: What years did the Sydney, Australia, do? I have begin? to send
0: you the li- I have to send you the link. I have it. Let me
1: see if I can find it. Okay.
0: I'll I'll give you the title of the article.
1: Well, William, I you know I, I guess we should probably you know I don't want to keep up too much of your time here. We should probably wrap these things up here. I. Uh... I, I do want to say thanks again here for this conversation. I do appreciate it. Yeah, thank and, uh, you.
0: Thanks for having me. It was great talking to you. Very interesting. The title of the article is Australia. This was in 2017, January 30th. When gangs killed gay men for sport. Australia. Wow. Australia reviews 88 deaths.
1: I just wrote that down. I'm definitely going to look yeah, that, up as soon that up as we That's amazing.
0: There. So this is another thing. I mean, it's that does That
1: sound wow, 50, huh?
0: 88. 88 wow just there yeah so i mean i could do That's... another two documentaries it's hard to believe but i did three and a half hours i could probably do another three and a half three hour documentary it's just like it uh, keeps going so anyway hey, I, i'd
1: watch it i uh, i appreciate I can, that I can, absolutely i i can give you my highest recommendation as far as a uh, quote-unquote fanboy if you can call myself a fanboy of these smiley face killings you know i've Again, I've been tracking them for a good decade now. Well, it's great and to
0: talk to you then because, you know, we have a small group. There's a small group of us, not just me and Jim Smith, all have kind of it, developed an interest in these cases. Also, You know, it's you very know, mysterious. It yeah.
1: Because I I feel like this is an often under-discussed, under-mentioned you know, topic of conversation, even amongst the circles of the interwebs that would discuss these things.
0: Right, I would agree with that too. Yeah,
1: I So mean, it seems like the conspiracy your-
0: theory... Par excellence, I guess, you know, a lot going on. But
1: you figure as many folks that like, you know, murder mysteries and watch all the, you know, murder porn on network television, you know, be it your 48 hours or your, you know, those kind of things. You, right. You'd figure there'd be more interest in these, in these cases, in this topic. I would uh, agree. I totally agree with you. All right, well, That's kind of my goal is, is, is to kind of provide some more, some more education in the matter. I feel like that seems to be what you're after as well.
0: I think so. I mean, I've done a lot of interviews. So the information's out there. And really, I just got it out there as a warning. You know, you could end up as a victim. You know, people could end up as victims of this whole horrible situation.
1: Absolutely. So,
0: anyway. All right, JJ, I thank you very much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you, William. All right, take
1: care. Out here. Cheers.